Game of Thrones. Oh my god. There's dragons. You gotta watch it. You see them. There's this fight scene. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter's Mr. Kari's me. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our Dracaris. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones Season 7 Bonus. I'm Jason. I'm Christina. And today we have a really special bonus for you. I'm excited. This is all the great information we couldn't fit into our regular season coverage. And it just keeps the fun going for a little longer, right? Besides our regular bonus material, the second half of this podcast is going to be really fun. We're going to have the Raj. Now, those of you may know the Raj if you listen to our Westworld bonus podcast. He came on for that, and we had a great time. And they're going to be teaming up on something really exciting in the near future, so stay tuned for that. Okay, Jason, let's start out by getting into our stats for this Season 7. They have kind of a cool chart that breaks this down, season by season, episode by episode, which we will post on our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com, under this episode. And you can see that the average viewership in millions from season one was 2.5, season two, 3.8, season three, 4.9. It just kept going up. This is a bar graph. It's really cool to see the way this bar graph grows. And this season, season seven, by far supersedes any of the other seasons as far as numbers are concerned. They had the average at 10.2, but that was before they took into account numbers that weren't in the live viewing. So if you factor that in, you go up to more like 13 million viewers for the season. On average, episode one and the last episode of the season are the highest per season. I wonder where everyone goes mid-season. You got to know what's going on <laughs> I know, that is a little weird, right? There's no way I could just watch episode one and episode 10 or seven and be like, okay, I know what's going on. Yeah, and their critical reception on the whole is really good too. There's another graph for this you can see by episode. They start out at around 95% and then they peaked at 100% with episode two. There was a slow decline and then a drop into episode six. I would say that was the least favored by the viewers. But then we had a nice spike back up for episode seven. And that definitely mirrors a lot of the comments and reactions we've heard about the finale being able to really close things out in a great way and set the pieces up for season eight. Looking at this chart, I wonder if our grades follow that chart too. Well, that's what's interesting. If you look back, it is true that we both opened up high with episode one. I gave it a nine, you a 9.5. I hit my dip at episode two with an 8.5. You not until three with an 8.9. And then we were back up relatively high for the rest of the season. We didn't have the same problems with episode six. We still rated it high. And I gave a 9.9. To episode six and seven, you gave a 9.7 to six and seven. So if you average that all out, we get our season seven Raven rating. For me, it's a 9.4, and for you, it's a 9.3. Which is pretty good. And you can't compare this to our other shows because we grade this on a different scale. Yeah, it's it's got a bit of a curve. Everything's much higher for Game of Thrones. Well, actually, I was thinking the opposite. The curve works against them. I grade harder. For Game of Thrones because I expect more. 
as opposed to other shows where we know there's not that much money into it. We know that it doesn't have the storyline that this does. And I actually grade them higher. That's true in some senses, but if you look at the hard numbers, we don't give upper nines consistently like this to, I think, any other show. There are shows where we'll give sixes for a down episode, and I think that's just our favoritism kicking in. We do love this show. It's also because we're podcasting about it. We would never podcast on a show that we hate, because that would be the shittiest podcast, right? Yes. (laughs) We would be like, this one's a two. So that also goes with... If you guys ever say, like, they always grade pretty high. Yeah, because we're podcasting about shows we love. Yeah. So one of our other favorite things to look at at the end of the season is who we've given our MVBs to, our most valuable bannermen. Episode one, Dragonstone. This is where John organizes the defense of the North and Cersei tries to even the odds. I gave that to Sam. You gave it to Arya. Episode two, Stormborn. When Danny receives an unexpected visitor, John faces a revolt. Tyrion plans the conquest of Westeros. Christina's most valuable bannerman was Jorah, and my most valuable bannerman was Sam. <laughs> Episode 3, The Queen's Justice. Danny and John meet. Cersei gains a new ally. Jamie learns from his mistakes, and Sansa receives an unexpected visitor. This is the first episode we started doing our Clatcher poll. So I gave it to Davos, you gave it to Olena, and the poll, with 60%, went to Lady Olena. And of course, this was her spectacular going out episode. Episode four, The Spoils of War. Danny fights back. Jamie faces an unexpected situation. And Arya comes home. Christina gave it to Bronn. I gave it to Danny. And the Clatchers gave it to Bronn at 48%. Good choice. So you were on board with the Clatchers in this one, Bronn. And that's because he saved Jamie and shot at our dragon? Yeah, it was another one of those. You know, not really voting for the bad guy. He clearly wasn't on our side. He was going up against the dragons in this episode. But he had some epic moves, right? He was really good in the fighting situation. He managed to keep himself alive, work his way over to the scorpion, successfully fire a bolt at Drogon, which was no easy feat, and then save Jamie, of course. And of course, he had very funny moments in this episode, probably the second most. And the first most funny Braun moments is episode seven, because he had a lot of funny moments in that. Yeah, it's a tie. It's a tie for me. Good humor from him all around. And I chose Danny because it was our first time this season seeing Danny on a dragon kicking some butt. Yeah, she did very well. I think it was the ending sequence there where she kind of put herself in danger and really came very close to Jamie sneaking up on her. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. You know, looking over all of our stats, I think this is the first season where I did not give Tyrion a Bannerman award. Yeah, me too. He's having a rough season. Episode 5, Eastwatch. Danny demands loyalty from the surviving Lannister soldiers. Jon heeds Bran's warning about White Walkers, and Cersei vows to vanquish anyone that stands in her way. Well, it started off with Jaime and Bronn swam their way to safety. What's cool about the MVB on this episode is both you, I, And the Clatchers all gave it to the same character, and that's Gendry. Between returning to the show after so many seasons missing, the classic line of, what was he doing, still rowing? (laughs) The interactions between him and Davos, seeing that he's become a very skilled blacksmith, and hopefully that's going to help with our team in the future, and he knocked out some Lannister soldiers with his Warhammer in pretty badass fashion. I think it also helped that this episode we were mad at most of our other characters. Yeah, that's a good point. Although there's a fair argument to be made 
for him as MVB in episode six, where he has to run his ass all the way back to the wall to deliver that message. We had a clear winner for that one. Beyond the wall, John and his team go beyond the wall to capture a white. Daenerys has to make a tough decision. We all voted Danny and Drogon. Obviously. And the Clatchers, 35% of them. Was yeah, on board so with it that. was an obvious winner, but not by a landslide. You had a very close second to the Night King in that episode with 30%. At third, you had John for 17, and at fourth, you had Gendry again for 18. So it's a closer race in that episode. I think this episode will go down as my least favorite of all time, not because of the storyline, not because of the action, but because of what happened. And one of my favorite because of the action, despite the problems that it had with logistics, the visuals were gorgeous, the dialogue between characters and the epic moment of the dragons coming in and taking out those whites. Plus, you also get some Danny John love brewing. Now, I just want to talk about this too long. I graded it a 9.7 because it was a great episode. I don't want people to think I hated it like it was a bad episode. No, that was your highest, one of your highest gradings. Yeah. I just mean when you look back years from now and you're like, oh my God, that episode, I hated that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the season finale, same thing, right? It ends with the wall coming down. Scary for the future. And speaking of episode seven, the dragon and the wolf, John organizes the North's defenses. Cersei tries to even the odds. The Night King comes south. My MVB here was the Night King slash Viserion. Yours was Arya slash Sansa. And the poll gave it to Arya and Sansa with 66%. Because the Clatchers know what's up. You don't vote for a bad guy. Are we going to get into this argument again? (laughs) I had to give it to the person who had a huge moment. Well, one could argue that Arya and Sansa had a huge moment. Absolutely. I can definitely see the justification for that. And we will go deep into that scene and many others when we have Raj and Kevin on. For that section, we have topics of discussion that are still left open. Either we have questions, there was lingering confusion, or just stuff where more points of view could be helpful. Those topics include things like Bran as the Night King, what is Tyrion's plan, the deleted scene with Sansa, and where is Dorne? So let's give our Season 7 MVB. Most valuable bannerman for the whole season. I'm going to go ahead and be obvious with this and say Jon Snow. He was the one, and, it, and is always the one, willing to be the uncomfortable one. He's going to leave the comfiness of his new Winterfell leadership, go south to someone he doesn't know that could possibly kill him, to go back up north past the wall, to go back down south to another to person he doesn't know den. who could possibly kill him. Gave up his title as king in the north to bend the knee to Danny because he believes in her. Risked the entire power meeting there in order to keep with his honor. Figured out a way to always have his hair perfectly quaffed. <laughs> and his abs of steel. You know I have a soft spot for Jon Snow from the very beginning of this entire series. So my MVB is also John. For all the reasons you mentioned, the ones they kept pointing out to us all season long that he is concerned with the greater war, the greater issues at hand, and he keeps trying to bring the rest of our characters back on track with that, but also for the reasons foreshadowed in the future for season eight. He seems to be the character that's embodying ice and fire and will have to be the one to eventually go up against the Night King. We asked our Clatchers on Twitter and Facebook who their MVB for the entire season was, and we have a few responses. And like always, thank you guys for always being a part of the crew and enjoying this show with us some of the responses were from brian 
John Agon Snow, the resurrected King of the North. Tim Allen, I think John Snow, he's trying to do the right thing and will face anything to try and save his people. Daniel says, you know, as much as it's popular, I think it should be John Snow. He's done so much. Laura says, Jamie, he's grown so much. Lewis says, it's Drogon and Andy Daenerys. All right, let's start with Andy. She believes Daenerys. And I can see where she's coming from. Starting this season, Danny's hard work has cultivated this brilliant army. And I think it's easy to forget everything she went through. With her handful of people after she lost her child and her husband trekking through that desert with no food and no water to finally get to a place to get almost robbed and her dragons killed to on and on and on. And now we see her and all her work, ships, the Thrakis, Unsullied, Dragons, Tyrion, and on and on and on. And she does make a lot of mistakes, or Tyrion makes a lot of mistakes, but I still think we're left off this season believing in her and what she can do. Well, she made the difficult decision to listen to Jon about what the Great War means and team up with him, despite the fact that she has been trying for six seasons to get over here to win the Iron Throne, what she sees as her destiny. So maybe an honorary MVB there to the Double Ds for finally getting her over here to Westeros. This is something we haven't seen in book territory yet, so it's exciting just to get her here with our main characters involved in the storyline. I also think you could make a strong case, and if I had to give an honorary to the dragons, period, but mostly Drogon for the season, he has gotten them out of quite a few tough situations. And then with Laura saying Jamie, he has grown so much. There's a lot of speculation of what's going to happen to Jamie. Is Cersei even going to allow him to leave, or will he be ambushed on his way out? Yeah, we have some thoughts about that. My theory is that she, in a way, pushed him to leave and allowed him to leave which is very strange given all the information he has about her plans. So maybe that's part of the ploy too. He has always been a character that I have a soft spot for. I want to see that redemption arc in him. And I can definitely understand why it's rewarding where we wind off with him at the end of the season, finally leaving. We have been anticipating that every episode. Yeah, breaking the spell that Cersei has over him. But if you look at majority of the season, he did still spend it brainwashed most Mm -hmm. of the time and not able to come over to the side of good yet. And one could argue Cersei as MVB. Listen, from the get-go this season, she was outnumbered, outmatched, and (laughs) (laughs) outcreatured. But she found a way to, one, team up with the darkest, meanest man left in Game of Thrones. One of the very few power players who's not already committed somewhere else. Outthink her brother Tyrion every turn you make. And now still has us thinking, what is she going to do now? We know she's lying, but we don't really know her full plan yet. And if you look at who she has on her side other than Euron, it's Kyburn, the Mountain, and it was Jaime. It seems like most of the plans she's come up with this season have been her own, but I have to wonder how much Jaime has influenced this, been able to sort of keep her on track, keep her from straying, completely off the deep end into Mad Queen territory for all of her low cunning and brilliance, will we finally see the Cersei downfall now that she has no one left to keep her in check? So thank you so much to the Clatchers who have been voting after every episode for their most valuable bannermen. And we will for sure carry that over to Mr. Robot. Let's go on to some fun facts. We spoke a little throughout the season about the filming for Game of Thrones. That's always a point of intrigue for me. The locations we saw this time were Northern Ireland, Spain, Iceland, 
Croatia, which is always King's Landing, and they had a few scenes in Canada, including the Aria Nymeria reunion scene. Season 7 also had three different visual effects teams working on it simultaneously, and we did see so many amazing things happening with that. Everything on screen, particularly the dragons, looked spectacular. Earlier on, we also talked about awards, because we like to do that every season. Game of Thrones gets many. I won't talk about the nominations. There was a huge number for that, but just some of the ones they won. Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Action Performance by a Stunt Ensemble, AFI TV Program of the Year, American Cinema Editor's Best Edited One-Hour Series, and the American Society of Cinematographers' Outstanding Achievement in a Regular Series for Cinematography. Normally one of the big ones for Game of Thrones are the Emmys, but I'm reading in an article right now, it's not nominated for a single award this year, but with good reason, it didn't air in time to be eligible. So as you know, we got shifted back from previous years to our air date because of the filming. The eligibility period for the awards is between June 1st and May 30th of each year. The later premiere means it missed the May 30th cutoff date. So we would be looking at next year's Emmy Awards for this season of Game of Thrones. Speaking of airing on time and next year, the rumor is that we're not going to get a Game of Thrones till 2019. Let's come back to another big topic of conversation, and that's deaths for the season. So here is the list. Walder Frey and the Frey Men. Obara, Nymeria, and Tyene Sand. Lady Olena. Randall and Dickon Tarly, Thoros, Uncle Benjen, Viserion, and Littlefinger. And keeping in mind that Ilaria is in the dungeons, and she has to watch her... Yeah, presumably Tyene is dead by now. That's the one that was locked up with her down in the dungeon that Cersei gave the poison to. But they haven't gone back to Ilaria, and that's curious. I assume we have to see that again at some point, right? Well, if you remember, after that episode, I had said that I think eventually... When it's time for Cersei to go down, and if we're in King's Landing, someone's going to break her out, and she's going to come from within, and I'm hoping do some damage. Yeah, your thought was Bronn would let her out of there. Well, because of some of these deaths, we are now starting to see the extinction of several great houses. When we opened up this season, we talked about the leaders of the great houses and how many of them were dead, but we're talking about full house extinction. Last season... We saw that for the Boltons, the Martells, and the Baratheons save Gendry. And this season for the Tyrells, the Freys, and Baelish. And if we're not careful, every house will be extinguished, and it'll be the House of the Whites. You're getting dangerously close. We also spoke about Rhaegar's Targaryen line, with Danny and John now both putting themselves in so much danger. We have our three main Lannisters still left alive. Now, I assume there's also a lot of Lannister cousins or whatnot that we haven't seen, so I don't think they're close to becoming extinct. But we're also getting dangerously short on Starks. Now, speaking of deaths, we also got a lot of comments about Tormund and Beric's fate after the end of the season finale, most of who assumed that they are still alive as they ran on the top of the wall westward and were able to avoid the collapse of Eastwatch. We too said upon the rewatch, it looked like they were running in the opposite direction. But part of the big argument for them still being alive was that surely we would see the death of these characters that are pretty major instead of them just cutting to the end sequence where the wall falls. I agree that they should get acknowledgement, but it's also important to recognize that GOT has sort of done that in the past 
where fairly major characters, you didn't see their actual death on screen. So you got this with Stannis, where it was implied, but there was a lot of controversy later because we saw Brienne swing the sword. We didn't actually see him die. Turns out, yeah, that was it for him. Also with the Blackfish, we kept wondering, will there be a resurgence? We didn't actually see him die, but no, that was it for him too. So there are times that they do that to us. And when we cut back to in season eight and go to the wall, could there be a moment where it's acknowledged that we lost them? I don't think it's a high possibility, but it is there. So another big question on the viewers' minds is, how are John and Danny going to react when they find out about John's parentage? We are assuming they will find out at some point in season eight. And there was mixed opinions. You know, a lot of people saying, well, Danny's not going to care because she's in love with John now and they're going to rule together. I had still a little bit of issue with that because it has been such a major goal of Danny's. And when I say goal, that doesn't really cover it, right? She thinks this is her purpose, her destiny, what she's fated to do. She sacrificed and given a lot to get to this point. And she has a vision for where she wants this world to go. So let me be clear about that. I don't think John would contest her. For the throne in any way. I don't think he's going to want to rule and they're going to start fighting against each other because he has any desire for power. It's more of what if that becomes an issue because of the people. In the same way they put forth John as the king in the north and he didn't really want to be ruler but he grudgingly took up that title because they saw fit for him to lead them. They thought he knew best and they wanted to follow him. He's also somebody from Westeros. What they know of right now, he's from the Stark family, who a lot of these people can know and trust, where they're seeing Danny as still kind of a foreign invader. So what if that part of it starts presenting a problem that the people want, John? Well, what people? Because Danny's army, the Dothraki, mm-hmm. the Unsullied, there's no way they would want to. Are you talking about the Northerners? I'm talking about the rest of whoever is left in Westeros, and that's a good point. Will there even be enough people left after this is over to care? And maybe not. I don't think it's probable that it's going to become a huge issue. I think you're going to see the death of a lot of the common folk. I think you're also probably going to see the death of either John or Danny before that becomes an issue as far as heir to the Iron Throne. Where I see it being more of an issue maybe is in their relationship. Okay, so that's another topic people keep bringing up. Will the incest problem bother John, Danny, or both? Well, I have an issue with that statement, only because we've seen it so many times in the Game of Thrones, and it hasn't been a big deal. I mean, talk about incest. You got Cersei and Jaime, and then you have a whole lineage of Targaryens doing this as well. Yeah, so a couple of things about that. Barb and a few of our other listeners wrote in to talk about the fact that this is a different culture we're talking about. I think a lot of viewers, a lot of podcasters sometimes are looking at these issues through the lens of the modern world, and we have to maybe shift our focus a little to the lens of the fictional Westeros world. You're not even talking about medieval Europe. This is an entirely fabricated world where incest is a little more common. As you said, Targaryens married brother to sister for a long time. Danny's own parents, Ares and Rhaella, were siblings. And Danny herself, at the beginning of this show, was anticipating she would be married to her brother Viserys. Not that she liked it, but she grew up accepting that fact. But number one, how do the people view it? Okay, so there was a problem with it when it came to 
Jamie and Cersei for a couple of reasons. One, if this is something they're doing that's going against the faith of the Seven, which is the religion they were worshiping to that had a lot of sway in Westeros. They were afraid that it would be unpopular, but it wasn't a crime and it wasn't the real problem there. The real problem was the high treason, the fact that she had a child outside of marriage to Robert Baratheon, and also they were trying to pass the children off as Baratheons, making them heirs to the throne. So that is where a lot more of the controversy came into play between Cersei and Jaime. And yes, it was a lot more acceptable for certain people, such as the Targaryens, but it's also intimated that some of this acceptance of the tradition when it came to them had more to do with the fact that Targaryens ruled by force and with dragons. They could do what they wanted, no matter what anyone thought about it. Who's going to go up against them and say, oh, we're weirded out by this incest thing? And it would probably be the same case here if... John and Danny were to rule, it's much more about their personal opinions about it. I think given all of that, Danny might not have such a problem with it. Really hard to predict. These are all just our opinions at the end of the day. We don't know what the characters are going to do when faced with this information, but I see her being more okay with it than John would. Uh, he did not grow up with this kind of practice being common. Family does have a different kind of meaning to him. So still a big question mark on what he'll think when he finds out. All right, so we're at that part of the podcast where we have Raj here. Raj, what's up, man? Hey, guys. Thank you so much for uh, having me back on the show. I really appreciate it. I enjoy the podcast community. Um, so I think we talked about this when I, when I joined Westworld. It's just... Unless you really have a podcast, you don't really understand, but there's so many uh, great content producers out there and it's just such a nice welcoming community and it's it's always fun to be on the show. So hi to all the clashers out there. Thank you so much for uh, putting up with me for the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably glad to hear other voices besides Jason and mine. Oh, not at all. Not at all. You guys are lovely. <laughs> and of course, our Westworld listeners know Raj well. Listen to that podcast, had great responses from that and... Thank you for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have fellow podcasters who know the struggle. Yeah. And they know the struggle's yeah. real to come on well, and we can just talk shit. This was a completely different beast. Um, I think you guys warned me about doing <laughs> Game of Thrones. And we, over at Shadow on TV, we were completely against doing it because we were like, ah, you do we really want to start, you know, seventh on the seventh season, six season in. And then when we finally decided to do it, like all my fears came true. The <laughs> amount of people that watch this show religiously and write emails, fear like seven page paragraphs <laughs> telling you you're a terrible human because you could not pronounce, you know, Daenerys correctly. Yeah. Uh, is, is, is what we were faced up against. But, you know, we, we got it. We, we introduced a segment called I'm um, Actually where we let people correct us, and that was fun. But, yeah, no, this is a daunting task. It's such a huge, large universe, and people turn to podcasts like uh, The Coffee Clash, like Shad on TV, like uh, um, uh, A Storm of Spoilers, like all the other ones, uh, Boar's Gore and Swords, because they, they're searching for – answers they just want to hear from people that they trust and so there's there's a lot of homework that goes into it in addition to all the podcast stuff so um yeah it's it, uh I, I i'm i'm ready for westworld to be back like, like i'm ready for that because this was this was a this was like an ap course like in high school game of thrones was like an ap course 
Well, in all honesty, too, you came in at one of the hardest times during the show. Yeah. Season seven has gotten to be very different. We've talked about that a lot. The changes that have happened since we stray further and further from George R. R. Martin's universe. So I think the bottom line is a lot of us are left very confused on certain topics. And hopefully in a little bit, that's what we're going to try to cover is some of those remaining topics where maybe they weren't tied up nicely for us, or we still have questions going into season eight. And I don't know, we'll try to help clarify. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we have any of the answers, but we'll talk it out. Well, that's part of the fun with this, especially this show. Listen, we Christina has read the books over and over and over again. We say all the names, we know all the names, we make sure we know all the names, and we, I guess we're saying... I was saying Varys wrong. We were both saying Varys wrong. For we were saying Varys, and we Varys, got yeah. bombarded for that, but they, apparently they didn't <laughs> listen to all the other right things that we had. So we had to, <laughs> yeah, and we have our uh, Patreon podcast where we're able to just really let loose. And our last bonus, we did discuss how we breathed in, breathed out. And we we're like, let's just have fun because we realized that we were feeling the pressure just coming down on us for this particular show. And we forgot to have fun at, towards the middle. And even we even had uh, Clatcher say, like, after that podcast, the remainder Game of Thrones, we were a lot more loose. We it more kind loose. of like yeah. we just ripped off whatever freaking shell that was on us and just said, no, we're going to have fun. The reason why we started the CKC is not to be the ones with the answers. We wanted to be the people that everyone could come on and discuss with their friends their favorite show and have fun and have theories and be wrong. Yeah, and your be radio right. water cooler. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I like that radio water cooler. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the right approach. Right? You know, there's a delicate balance. And that's that's one thing that I, we always strive for over at Shout on TV and now with um, all the spoilers is. You have to have good content. You have to have enjoyable, knowledgeable discussions, but they've got to be entertaining. They have to have fun. It has to be, like you said, like you're sitting around with some of your best friends chatting. You People get to know you. Like I've gotten to know so many people on Twitter, people I've never met in real life, but I feel like they're our friends and it's crazy and it's bonkers, but that's the life we live today in 2017. So, um, Yeah. I'm just uh, appreciative of everyone listening. It's, it's, it's wacky. It's nuts. Talking about having fun and talking about being wrong. <laughs> oh, are you ready? <laughs> we have a trivia. Are you guys ready for this? Okay. Now, what is this trivia? Now, you wrote these questions? I wrote these questions based on a mix of a couple different things. There's only six of them. So don't worry, the suffering okay. will not be long. And you and Jason can both be a team. You guys can come with, up with the Ooh. answers together. That uh, way there's not too much competition like there was with you and Michelle, Jason, yeah. back in the, the season seven <laughs> prepper. Now, what we're going to do for the Clatchers is we'll leave five seconds of space. That gives you ample time to pause if you want to play along and write down your answers. Don't Google it, though. <laughs> okay, no Googling. Yeah, that's All right. cheating. Understood. We're like the hound in Tormund. Yes, yes. All right. All right. Now I'm going to start you guys off with a really easy one so that, you know, we work our way into this. So number one, how many people have we seen sit the Iron Throne in GOT TV world? So not that we've heard about, but that we've actually seen since season one. Give me the number and the names of those people. Ooh. That's easy? Okay. Yeah, come on. That's easy. You can do that. All right. So there's Robert Baratheon. Right, that we saw him. I'm just, I'm just going linear. I'm trying to go linearly. Uh, linear. <laughs> linearly. I'm trying to go in a linear format. So we got um, Robbie B. Right. We got Robbie B. Bobby B. 
<laughs> we have uh, we have jo- uh, Joffrey, Joffrey the cunt. We have um, those are Lena words, not not Roger Ropers. You, then you have Tom. Was Tom after Joffrey? No. Wasn't there another brother? There was. No, it's Tommen, I think. Yeah, Tommen. Okay, Tommen was after that. Then you have, I, I, I assume, Cersei, right? But then you also have seen flashbacks of, of the Mad King. The Mad King on the throne. So what is that, five? Yeah, we're at five. Is that your final answer, Jay? No, she's giving me no, a weird look. No, no, no. She's... No, I think, you should, I think you should stop. That's a good okay, one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yes, right, there we go. Five, did we name them all? Yes, you Ooh. are correct. And in the yeah, right five. order. <laughs> Right order. You even nice. got the order correct. Well, wow. Mad King is fine. All right. Can we stop here? <laughs> so, yeah, you guys got one right so far. Okay. Now, this one is probably going to have to be a total guess for you because I just found this out based on some behind the scenes interviews. For the entire series Game of Thrones, which character did Benioff and Weiss have the hardest time killing off? So personally, for the Double Ds, which one was hardest for them to okay, say goodbye uh, to? Oh, I, from a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's think of major character deaths here, Jason. All right. So okay. we have we have Bobby B. Bobby B. died. I don't think that would be that big of a deal. No. Right. Joffrey. You have, you have Joffrey. I don't think uh, everyone was waiting for that. Uh, Tommen. Right. He yep. died. Um, you have the Tyrell family. The Set Baylor. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you have a couple of auxiliary characters but i'm trying to think of like big name characters we got oberin no no. i'm gonna give you guys a hint don't think big name character Uh, don't oh my god i know i know (laughs) okay hodor hodor (gasps) yeah that would be my answer as well hodor that's is that final answer final answer final answer really good guess i didn't even think of that but no oh it was cal drogo oh Really? I would have never yeah. gotten that. That's a weird one, right? Yeah. What was their reasoning? Yeah, why? Just that they had such a great time working with him. They thought that he fit the role very well. And I heard that he's a cool dude in I'm real I'm thinking life. maybe, too. It wasn't oh, a, a real... He's, a t- he's like a guy's guy, and he's hot. Like, yeah. You, <laughs> you can't be mad at him. You can't... You're like... Well, you, I would also... It would be a hard time uh, if you know I got to work with a shirtless Jason Momoa on set all the time, and then, then he had to go, and I wouldn't be able to look lovingly upon his uh, six-pack abs and those pectoral muscles and his shoulders. Oh, he's just a <laughs> specimen of a man. Yeah, but we still have Kid Harrington, luckily. We yeah, we, this... we, have, we have Kit Harrington buns. <laughs> yeah. John Snow buns. Melly, Melly tweeted to us uh, something about uh, Kit Harrington's Fibonacci oh, buns. Oh, nice. Yeah, that which is, is cool. Clever. And then she showed me a picture of the Fibonacci sequence on his tushy, and it fit perfectly. <laughs> it fit perfectly. <laughs> I like the word tushy. That was great. I haven't heard that since like uh, the fourth grade. Uh, my mom, she's Polish. <laughs> <laughs> is that a Polish word? Tushy's a P- Polish word? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. That's, uh, we should look that up. <laughs> right in. Where is tushy from? Okay. okay. Number three is, is going to be another guess for you guys. So going along with that theme, which character death was the most expensive for the show to shoot? Now. The dragon. I'm gonna no. I'm gonna be okay. honest with you. I think this is before the end of this season with the dragon. So don't include Viserion in that. Okay, so this is before season seven. Yes. Okay. Most expensive death. The death at the hearing when Cersei blows up the whole citadel. 
Yeah, I mean, from all. a CGI perspective, they have this with the Set Baylor wildfire situation. Yeah, right. that would probably make make sense. <sighs> yeah, that would. Now I'm thinking. I think they're talking about individual death, so okay. not group okay. battles, not big, you know, fight sequences, explosions. Can I just answer everything Hodor like Hodor would? <laughs> <laughs> because that was that's kind of like an expensive death. Um, no, let's think here. How did he die um, there? He holding died. the door. His well, actual door. his actual death though was White swarming him, right? Yeah, from the door behind him. the door. So yeah, um, CGI. But they did, yeah, well, not too much CGI. They actually did that one scene in a studio. Oh, it's okay. True. Um, it's true. Um, so we have again big deaths, big on-screen expensive deaths. This is going to be another um, shocker for you guys. I'm going to, I'm you know what? Maybe Joffrey, Joffrey, that whole death scene with the makeup and poison and yeah. choking and all the characters that were there. I'm going to go with Joffrey. I'm going to go with Oberyn. I don't know why, but I love Oberyn. Oh, because of the pushing the eyes in. Yeah, that's a good one as well. Again, two really good guesses, but no, it was, <laughs> it was Meryn Trant. So the guy that Arya killed when she was in Bravos. Uh-huh. Yeah. When he was in Ooh. the when he was in that brothel soliciting younger yeah. women, and Why she was took that him expensive? out. Weird. Okay. Because <laughs> he had to pay all the women in the brothel. <laughs> no, um, it was a pretty no, gruesome, deep, bloody some, kind of graphic yeah, scene. These are some deep cuts. These are. This is pretty. This is pretty intense. I can't wait for the emails. Okay. You guys are such yeah. morons. The next yeah, one. I knew it all the time. <laughs> the next one you could get. It's just you have to bring your mind pretty far back. No. Oh, well, I'm out. So, <laughs> number four, who gave Danny her dragon eggs? Ooh, I know this. Um, it was it was the guy she was bunking up with before she was given over to uh, the cows. Yeah, the guy who um, was talking. I don't to, know his name. The guy who was talking to Varys in the basement with the dragon skulls. You're right. What I, is I, his I see name? his face. Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> You I don't guys know are his there. name, but but that, that's the guy. That's yes. the guy, though, right? That's the guy. Okay, All that right. is the well, guy. Then, I get partial credit for this. Right? <laughs> this is how this is how I made it through college. I just argued my way into a B. Yeah, I would say that's a half a point for you guys. All right. His name was Illyrio. and I thought hmm. this was interesting. Now thinking back to where it all started, that. Illyrio and Varys were scheming yes. from the very beginning. Varys wanted a Targaryen from the from the top. To get Danny out of King's Landing to a place where she could be safe. She stayed with Illyrio. They sold her to the cows. They found the stone eggs where? Because this is so fascinating. How did they get their hands on dragon eggs? Ooh. That I mean, it's, this, it's this fun this to think about, right? I have, I have no idea. Well, they thought they were just stones, right? They were just... They were petrified dragon eggs. So they were essentially, I mean, because dragons hadn't been in Westeros or in this land for hundreds of years, correct? Yes, and that's what they told her on scene, that I think it was meant to be symbolic and inspiring right. as, as, you know, kind of ornamental. But Family did Varys maybe have some inkling of something different, Perhaps. you know, now that we, we look at it in hindsight? It's funny you bring that up because Nathan on Twitter actually wrote to us 12 hours ago saying, uh, listen to your recent podcast as far as what Varys is up to. He schemes with Illyrio in season one. And then he gave us the video link. So that's funny that you bring that up. Oh, cool. Mm. We should post that. So Varys is behind this all, you think? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, the reason why he brought that up is because we were trying to discuss whether Varys was a good guy or a bad guy. Is he really for Danny or not? This was, I think, three episodes ago where we realized we weren't seeing much from him. He just spoke to Melisandre. We were like, what does that conversation mean? What's going on? So we were, you know, we were starting to say maybe he is going to stab him in the back. But I, I, don't, think, I don't think so. At this point, no, I think I think Varys is a good guy. I think he's come across many rulers or he serves, you know, as he said before, you know, he his ultimate goal is to serve the people and also look out for himself. I don't think that he's a bad guy. But, you know, one of the things that Big D always said is this show is not meant to portray fantasy, this fantasy genre as a, a good guy versus a bad guy. There's always shades of gray of each character. I would counter with. Mm, in season seven, they're really making Jon Snow out to be a real, like, classic good guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he has zero faults. What He slept with his aunt. That's his only fault. I mean, how could he have known? No, that's I agree true. with you. I, I think in previous seasons, Jon was a little more gray because he was making decisions that went against what his people were comfortable with when he was Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Look what happened there. They wound up stabbing him to death. He was he was being controversial, if not bad. It made right. him a little more gray. Now, I guess, not so much anymore. So right. so I'm not sure, right. but... Right. I think, so I think that's we, going somewhere in season eight, though. No, I definitely agree with you. So what, what are we up to here? So I've got, we've got one and a half out of three... Okay, so we're, still, we're batting 50%. <laughs> okay. All right. So, number five, I'm confident you guys Ooh, can do. No, we're, we're 1.5 out of four. Oh, yes. I'm right. sorry, out of four. jeez. Number five, what are the four major locations that must always be shown on the opening map sequence, according to the creators? The Wall. Yep. Winterfell. Yep. King's Landing. Yep. Ooh, the fourth. Ooh. All right, so we got three out of four. Fourth That's, is a tr- kind of a trick question. Is it kind of a trick question? The fourth part. Is it, really, is it the 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 thing? The it's it's in the citadel, but it's also shown in the Game of Thrones. And you're talking about just locations on the map. You're not actually talking about sequences. Right? Correct. Yes. Although they, yeah, the astrolabe is on everyone, but the fourth location. What, what is it called? It's is called the what? The astrolabe, that device you're talking about that we see. It's in called the, the astrolabe? Yes. Oh, wow. We're nice. very fascinated with that thing. We talked about that, it a lot. Well, doesn't it have the entire series inscripted on it? That's, that's the whole purpose of it is that it's, it tells the story in the astrolabe? Yes, it has all the great houses on it as they move around. People have wondered if that shows where the seats of Who's power are. power, move. yeah. But it also looks like it has a sun and a moon, so to reflect the changing seasons and maybe yeah. when the long nights are coming. Yeah, so that leads you to ask, is that telling you what's going on or is it recording what's going on just like they do in the Citadel? They record what's going on. Mm-hmm. So yep. I wonder. It's good. Um, I, I don't, I, I'm trying to think of the fourth. I don't know the fourth. Jason, you're, <laughs> I'm trying so hard. Cause I, I, you know, fuck you for these questions. Well, think, <laughs> okay. Think about the major players who haven't right. you covered. It's not, uh, the Lannisters are from Casterly Rock. It's not Casterly Rock, is it? No, because you cover them in King's Landing for oh, Winterfell. Okay. You have the Starks for the wall. You have the Night's Watch. So who's a big player that you haven't talked about? Well, Danny. Yep. Daenerys. Yep. Okay, but, but but she's everywhere. 
Exactly. So wherever oh. Danny is. Yep. Oh. The fourth location is wherever Danny is. Oh, it's like blowing into a birthday cake with <laughs> candles. Oh. You did it. Good job. Okay. Now, number six is a fun one. Let's just see how many you can get. I don't, I doubt that I even have them all, but I wrote down the major ones I could think of. So, how many major battles can you name? From oh, this I season. I'm out on this question. There have like been like 10 major battles. No, um, Battle of the Bastards. Yeah. Are, are, are we doing this season too? Are we doing this season? Yes. So it's Hard Home. Yep. Uh, Battle of the Bastards. Uh, the, the, um, the <laughs> people call it the loot train attack, but uh, on all the spoilers, uh, some, Tiago wrote in and wants to call it the Deep Purple uh, battle because there was smoke on the water. <laughs> and, a, and a fire in the sky uh so we'll call that the deep purple battle um let's see here what else was there there was there was the stannis battle not the battle of blackwater but like there was wasn't there the stannis battle or was that the battle of blackwater bay yeah that was blackwater that yep. was blackwater okay yep right, i got so, blackwater all right got blackwater um what was, jason help me out here what else what was the name of the battle at the wall with the wildlings mm-hmm the Battle mm. of the Wall, the Wild, yeah, the battle. Wildlings, that's, the Wildlings one. Yeah, that's we'll, close right, enough. We'll it's it's Battle Battle of Castle Black, but it's close enough. Battle of Castle Black. Okay. Um, there was. Are we talking about ones that we did not see on screen? Because in the first couple seasons, they didn't really show the battles. They just showed the before and the after. Yeah, I only have the ones that you see on screen. Okay, so. Um, well, uh, the very you, first one, we only see a little bit of it. It took place in the Battle of the Five Kings. Would you consider the one where Tyrion, he, he, he brings all the, uh, they're not free folk, but they're the, um, the, for, the forest people. The ones who look like Vikings. Yeah. What are they called? God, the Mountain Clans. Called? The Mountain Clans. Thank you. That's a battle. That's true. I didn't even have that one on here. Battle of River Run? Was there a Battle of River Run? Off screen. Yep. I didn't have off that one because it was off screen, but yep. I oh, season help. seven. Uh, you guys are missing the big one from season seven. Season seven. What was the big one? We have. Well, we have the battle with Danny with the dragon. The right. battle of Danny yeah. finally takes said, the dragon you and said kills Lu- people. You said Lou Train, Blackwater Rush. <laughs> okay. What's the Blackwater other one? Rush. That's not a battle. If you're talking about the end of the season, that wasn't a battle. <laughs> that was a shit walk of them just coming in with a stolen vehicle and destroying the wall. No, I'm not talking about that one. Oh. Sorry okay. for getting mad. Right. <laughs> In the first couple episodes, there was a battle. Oh, geez. Um, this is why Game of Thrones is so tough, is because you have to study, you cram all this information in for one episode, and then you have to forget it because you have to cram for another one. Yep. Um, and then a new show comes on, well, and you're you, like, oh, my God. New, yeah, yeah. You already have five out of the nine that I listed. Five out so of nine. I'm good with five really out good. of nine. That's over 50%. So, I mean, the white fight, John and... The seven rangers versus the whites that we just saw okay. two episodes All right. ago. That was more of like a rescue mission, but I could see that. That was a battle against the whites. Um, these are all the ones listed online. Oh, I see what you're saying. Then. That didn't have a name, though. We were looking for st- stuff that had like a legit name. Okay. So you have. <laughs> I'm just trying to make The battle at Marine. Better. The battle at Marine. Mm, battle at Marine. Yep. That was a big one. Um, the Battle of Whispering Wood, that was the Rob Stark battle when I was saying there was one with the Five Kings, the War of the Five Kings. Okay. Yep. 
This one listed at the heart tree where Hodor is killed, but that's more of a fight as well. Yeah. So if you yeah. remove those two, you guys got five out of five eight. Out of seven. Yeah. Yeah, Rides uh, got five most out of seven. Of those. <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. So five out good. of seven, that was good. Not bad. Not too Take bad. It. These were hard questions, though. They weren't I, like I they challenged weren't advanced you. level. Yeah, they weren't the run of the mill. You know. Yeah, exactly. Like, what color is Daenerys' hair? No, yeah. we're on next level, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So next, we're going to jump into some of those topics of discussion. I'm going to start out with one that is more of a comment than a question, because I think we have this figured out now due to the new information. I'm talking about the Sansa Arya scenes that we were confused about all season long. We got this article off Mashable, but I know it's been posted in a lot of other places as well, where Isaac Hempstead Wright talks about that deleted scene they meant to put in with Sansa that got left on the cutting room floor. He says, we actually shot a scene that was meant to be in the last episode and didn't make it in where Sansa comes to Bran's chambers and says, I need your help. Hempstead Wright said the final editing decision probably came down to needing the shock factor, i.e. the way the siblings all coordinated in the Great Hall. He added, it's my understanding that Sansa came to Bran saying, actually, can you just fact check all this because I'm not sure who to believe, and before I kill my sister, can you confirm that's what's going on? (coughs) So, we think we have the timeline worked out. You guys tell me if this makes sense. First, Littlefinger gives Bran the dagger. Bran wonders where it came from. Then the three of them meet up at the hard tree. Bran, Arya, and Sansa, they talk about what's going on. They suspect Littlefinger is up to something. Then the weird interaction between Arya and Sansa. It seems like this was still genuine problems between the sisters that this was actually them kind of butting heads for a while because they didn't understand each other's motivations. Would you say that's true? Yeah, at this point, yes. See, here's the thing. The last couple of episodes, Raj, we were discussing back and forth, like, what did this scene mean? It it felt weird. It felt like it didn't fit. And then after we saw the final episode, we were like, okay, so they knew all along. We were so confused until... We read this uh, article and a lot of our Clatchers let us know about this article. So now looking back on it, we feel a little differently. We think this was real. Arya and Sansa were having a little tiff. Arya was letting letting Sansa know, I am a badass and I could kill you if I wanted to, but here's the knife. I'm not going to kill you. But she didn't want to because she was playing the game of faces, which includes one lie. So that final statement about I could take your face and be Lady of Winterfell, which we know Arya doesn't want, and we were confused by that, is the one lie in her game. Sansa wouldn't know that, though. And so now she leaves totally freaked out, because otherwise if this was an act for Littlefinger's benefit in case he's spying from the shadows at all times, why did she then send Brienne away to King's Landing? Because that does not work into the equation when they need her to protect both of them. So I think the question is, would the show have been better had that scene been left in? I think that answer is yes and no. Let me tell you the reasons. Yes, because it would have explained it to us. But no, because they would have totally lost that surprise factor where we're like, wait, is Sansa about to kill Arya? Is Sansa saying that Arya is the one that has had treason against the Starks? And then, boom, she looks over at Littlefinger and and throws that gauntlet. So that's why they took it out. But did anybody actually think that? 
That's another, yeah. Right. Yeah, see, I, I never thought that Arya, like, Arya was... Again, the whole storyline between Arya and Sansa, I think, could have been done a lot better. I think you could have had the whole Littlefinger on trial with... We talked about this on, on, on the spoilers, and this is now getting into fans writing, you know, Game of Thrones. But could it have been as equally as effective if... You, you keep the brand scene in with Sansa. Then you supply, surprise Littlefinger. Littlefinger still thinks he's going to get out of it. He's going to try and take down Sansa, right? Then tries to do like a trial by combat, and he loses to Arya. He has to fight Arya. And Arya just shows, again, how much of a badass she is and then kills Littlefinger. I think that would have been just as effective, if not more. I think that's fun. And I also just like the idea, even if you play the whole rest of those scenes the same exact way, if we know Sansa's motivations in the talk that she has with Littlefinger where he's playing his own game with her, I think that's equally exciting because we as viewers know, but he doesn't. And we're watching him squirm and try to play his game and fail at it for the first time. I mean, that was so rewarding during his death scene, but it only lasted a couple seconds. If that goes on two scenes, I really enjoy that just for that. So this leads us into the real question of what comes next for Arya. We had done a little fan fiction of our own, which has become a huge theory. And one of our Clatchers wrote in to ask, does this seal the deal now? Can we see Arya wear Littlefinger's face to go to King's Landing and get close to Cersei so that she can take her out and strike another name off her list? Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I think definitely. I mean, why wouldn't she want to use his face? But then again, is Littlefinger persona non grata to Cersei right now? Because the last time, I mean, Littlefinger was holed up in, in the Vale, right? He was. Now, the last interaction we saw between Littlefinger and Cersei was him telling her he was going north to continue, go to the Vale, continue with this mission he had. And she said, okay, well, I know, I'll know that you're really Lannister loyal when you bring Sansa's head to me on a spike. So the only way this really works is if Arya and Sansa are working together, teaming up to take down bigger targets, which I like now that they've gotten on the same page. And Arya takes Sansa down to King's Landing, dressed as Littlefinger, and pretending to hand her over to Cersei. Well, the pack sticks together, right? They've already said that now. They said it in the trailer before the season, and they said it now in the last episode. I think what this boils down to is, has Cersei been speaking to Littlefinger this whole time. If he has, we're going to find out now. And if that is the case, then it's perfect timing to use his face. And maybe when she's saying she has other plans, and we'll get into that question in a minute, that perhaps we haven't seen, you know, the whole did she feed Jamie wrong information before she sent him off thing. Maybe that's part of it that we're not factoring in plans that she had with Littlefinger about the North. Yeah, that's true. You have to imagine now that Littlefinger is dead... What are his little birds going to do? What is, little, what is his little network of spies going to do? Are they going to go to Arya now? Are they going to go to Sansa and, and fill him in on all of his ongoings that he was having? Or keep reporting back to Cersei right. if we believe right. they were in cahoots. Now she still has spies within Winterfell, <coughs> potentially. Yeah. Correct. So maybe they, yep. Oh, this is fun, though. Who knows? It is fun. Now, the one point that people have put across that goes against this is it would not fit in with the Valonqar prophecy, which the end of Cersei's prophecy that she received from Maggie the Frog was dying at the hands of the younger brother. But we didn't hear that portion of it on TV. 
So I don't even know that the double Ds are playing with that section of the prophecy or that she needs to die that way. Well, one of our clatchers on Twitter, Beto, B-E-T-O, gave us a screenshot of Cersei when she's talking to Jamie, And the angle of the camera is so much so that you see Cersei, and I wish I could show the internet the, the picture right now, and you too, Raj. Podcast is such a vi- visual medium. Yeah. <laughs> you see Cersei's face. She's talking to Jamie, But all you see of Jamie is his hilt and his sword, the end of his sword. And it looks like it's angled right towards Cersei's body. Mm. What Beto said was, we know that the double Ds don't do anything by accident. Could this mean something? And I really always still loved the idea that Jamie would have to be the one to kill her. And Raj, if you're not familiar, we have a very different interpretation on the big prophecy, the prince that was okay. promised prophecy. Okay. We, we think that comes in three parts and with three different people. So no one person fulfills all of that. And so you have the prince that was promised coming back in the form of Danny with her dragons. You have fire and ice being embodied within John, who will have to go up against the Night King at some point. And then you have the person that creates and wields Lightbringer. And we thought that would have to be Jamie by sacrificing the person he loves the most in Cersei. Yeah. So if you have Arya coming to kill her, we don't get that whole Jamie interaction, the end of the Jamie arc, potentially Lightbringer, and that's the only reason I don't like it. Here's the next thing. We only have six episodes for all of these things. <laughs> that's right. right. And you're <laughs> yeah. totally discounting the fact that Winterfell might be wiped out episode one, season eight. True. There is a, there is a fan theory uh, from Gillian who wrote in that she thinks the North will fight back the dead and the night King by episode two and three or two or three. And then they'll just focus on Cersei versus, you know, Danny, John, all of that. So it'll return back to a game of Thrones. I don't necessarily believe that I'm more along the lines of you. I think Winterfell is going to be overrun quickly. I think Winterfell is going to be overrun, but I think our Stark siblings know about this because of Bran and get out of there before that happens. So I don't think we see them dying right off the bat in season eight. I think they retreat. I don't know where. My father had this great idea that they could go to the Eyrie because this is the one castle within the Seven Kingdoms that's supposed to be impregnable. That's how the Aarons got away. Lysa got away with just sitting up there this whole time and watching the War of the Five Kings play out while they're nice and safe. Except that the Eyrie has played much less of a role in the TV show than it did in the books. So I don't know that they're going to shift. Not only that, but the Night King has a fucking dragon now, right? So we saw what dragons can do to, um, to Harrenhal. So why wouldn't they be able to do that to the Eyrie as well? Absolutely. I don't think anywhere is really safe unless you're with Danny and her two dragons. <laughs> That's right. Give me as many dragons as possible. So next season, will the sisters become more and more important? I think if they stay in the storyline and you don't see total destruction of Winterfell with everyone dying, which feels really unlikely, then yes, they have to serve a larger purpose. I don't think they're fighting in the main battle against the Night King and the White Walkers. So yeah, we have to move them somewhere else. And I think it seems realistic that they might end up back in King's Landing, where it all started for them. Before we move past them, one of our clatchers wrote in, and I, I misunderstood him at first. 
Chris wrote, when the Night King comes, will Arya be carrying a sack of face whites? Meaning, will the faces in her bag become walkers or whites? Oh, shit. <laughs> will she open the bag and they'll be like, ah, Oh, my God. <laughs> that is a crazy thought that never even crossed my mind. I don't think so. I don't think so, too. Only because it just doesn't feel Game of Thrones-like. It would, I feel like it would be a little too comical. No, I agree. That, we'll leave that kind of stuff for The Walking Dead. <laughs> well, that, that's surely a different magic, but you actually do bring up a thought I've been having a lot. We like to talk about the religions of this world and how they're going to come into play. Are there really many, or does it just boil down to one? Just as a quick recap, if you go through the major ones, you had the old gods, which it seems the children of the forest subscribe to, the Starks, the first men. You had the new gods, which were the faith of the seven, that was worshipped in King's Landing. You had the Drown God, who hasn't really come into play much on TV for the Iron Islanders. You had the Lord of Light, who certainly is playing a much bigger and bigger role. And his counterpoint was the Great Other. So we've played around with that a lot. Are the White Walkers and this force really just an incarnation of the Great Other? So the Great Other is the opposite of the Lord of Light. Is that correct? Yes, it was a dualistic faith. So Lord of Light was light, fire, seemingly life, and the great other was night, darkness, and death. Yeah, I think that's right. But those that subscribed to that would say it's really just one God that the rest of these people are worshiping, and you can find the great other in every one of the religions. The faceless men believe in a God of death. The faith of the seven has the stranger, which represents death. And so they're all just wrong, essentially. There really is just this one religion, these two gods. And the more the show goes along, the more I think I might believe that because they're the only ones we really see in power in the storyline. Yeah. Not, not, not only that, but like you have to think of, you think of Beric, you think of Jon Snow. Those were essentially raised from the dead by the Lord of Light. So they're the fire whites, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen what the, the Night King does with, with others, but... <clears throat> Does that mean that there's so is Melisandre and, and the other red priestesses and, and priests? Does that mean that the White Walkers are essentially the priests of because we haven't seen White Walkers raise the dead, it's it's just the Night King raises it, right? Well, am I wrong there? I think you're wrong. Only we haven't seen it, you're right on that, but only going off of two episodes ago when Jon Snow killed one White Walker and then all of his beings died, right? That means he raised those. Ah, I like that idea. And we do see them in that one scene where they're standing around bringing the one baby back. It looks like they are a priestly class performing some yes. type of religious ritual. Right. And now, right. that, now that we've seen the flashbacks to how the first White Walker was created and these cave paintings that John and Danny found, which show that circular symbol. Yeah, it, they mirrored the same symbolism. Right, if you go back to that creation scene of the first White Walker, they were arranged in that circle around the heart tree, the children of the forest, as they were creating it. Yeah, they show an aerial view. It's the same uh, visual representation of those shapes. If you're having trouble, Clatchers, thinking about this or visualizing this, think about walking into a Catholic church. You walk around the edges, and all of those stained glass windows have symbolism each different ones, right? You go to another Catholic church, very similar, right? So that's Catholicism and the symbolism there. 
think of it the same way. Those shapes are the religious symbols. And if they're both showing the same ones, could it be the same religion that they're following? Yeah, not even that I think it's the same religion, although, yes, I, I think that could be true, too. But that first White Walker, the way he was created with the children there, with the spiral shape, that's what he knows, that these were the gods that made him come into being, that created him, right? And so if we're going to perform rituals and rites, we would go based off of our gods and what we know of them. So he's kind of been repeating that forever and ever now when he creates new white walkers. So is it some kind of weird, he's trying to understand his God, his religion? I guess the argument I'm going to now, I'm arguing against myself here. We've seen the white walkers. If the white walkers really bring up people from the dead and then when you kill the white walker then the people he brought up fall why didn't Barak die when thoros was killed if they're if they're if they're mirror opposites of each other does that make sense so we saw thoros die thoros brought back Barak, like what eight times nine times he's like a cat so like would melisandra if she were to die would john fall john snowfall or is it just you can't be brought back because the priest who brought you back is no longer alive I think that second part of what you're saying is a good thought, but also, so you have the Lord of Light, who Melisandre and Thoros are worshiping. That's a different religion. Same religion, but they're worshiping the Lord of Light, which is one god. The White Walkers are worshiping the Great Other. Right. It's like God and the Devil, so maybe they don't work the the same way. Why you gotta be so literal, bro? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. I've talked myself into a corner. But I so. I say God and the devil. I don't want people to take that and run because I don't think it's, it's the same plain thing. black and white, yeah. good and evil. I think there definitely right. is more to the White Walkers and what they're following, and that's why I like talking about it. Speaking of good and evil, and I'm going to say this, and I'm saying this not to gloat. I'm saying it to give Christina some props. Oh, dear. Last year... Christina brought up this storyline, this theory that she had that the White Walkers were the good guys. And she broke it down. It's too much to go through right now. She broke down why the White Walkers could possibly be the good guys and the Targaryens and their dragons are the bad guys. And what's so awesome, and it makes me proud, is that the internet this last week, all we see is these big companies writing articles (laughs) about could the White Walkers be the good guys? Yeah, And it's probably, I mean, I'm not saying they heard Christina, but the fact that Christina was on that a long time ago is, is a cool feeling. Yeah, and uh, like you say, not as simple as that, because I think it's more about restoring balance to the world when it right. tips to one side or the other, and so that's why they're here. Um, but if you were to, to break it down to its bare essentials, I guess, yes. All right, for our next big topic... That is all around the internets. Bran is the Night King. And I really want to discuss with you, Raj, and with you, Christina, what, what do we make of this? Do we believe it? Do we not believe it? Do we hate it? Okay. Well, <laughs> well let's think about it. So the theory, the Bran is the Night King, you tell me if my understanding is different from your understanding. So my understanding is Bran and the Night King are essentially the same. Bran warged. Or traveled back, I don't know, whatever, green site, I don't know what it's, specifically what he does. But he goes back in time and tries to warg into the man who's sacrificed to become the Night King that we saw with the Children of the Forest. Upon his death, he finds him 
trapped into a new form that can warg into dead creatures who then simultaneously he can control himself. Inception. So, yes. so Yeah, I think so that's the, so, that's so the, the theory. concept is he wargs back, then dies, and is trapped in the Night King's body. Yeah, so he he uh green sights back. Okay. Then so we've never seen the ability to green sight, then war in while the green sight. Right. We've okay. never seen that. But what so you're bringing up stretch. is what people are saying is that he's gonna green sight back and then warg in. Because well he did well, no. Would you say that he, he did green sight and warg into Hodor? No. He oh. green sighted back then and then had like this he's more powerful than he knows. So he wasn't warging into him, but he was yelling and his voice echoed into Hodor and kind of from the past all the way through to the created present. this repetition in his brain. A hold the door, effect. hold the door, hold the door. A ripple effect. A ripple it butterflied out from that moment okay. all the way through to the present. I think you're right, but this is a really good question that Raj brings up because if there was warging going on, that's a lot more proof that it that could, happen could happen again. But it wasn't warging. My big problem with the theory was we haven't seen it before. There's no evidence that he can do that. But we have seen Bran yell out and them hear it. Correct. When he was at the Tower of Joy, he yelled out to Ned his name and Ned turned back like, what? What was that? Right. He didn't work into him, but he was so powerful where his voice could transcend time. And that's what happened to Hodor. I think, I think you are correct in that one. And, and so, yeah, we love to get crazy with wild theories. No, no. It sounds, this is a brain. Like you said, this is like trying to explain Inception immediately after you just saw it. Right. <laughs> Which is, I mean, now everyone knows how Inception works. But this whole theory sounds intriguing. However, the old three-eyed raven who's been going through Westeros history for hundreds of years. Thousands. Was waiting for Bran. Or thousands of years, right? Was waiting for Bran. Jojen and Mira sacrificed so much to bring Bran behind the wall. Even the children of the forest fought to save Bran and lost their lives along with Hodor. So if Bran is the fucking Night King, why did they show all that? Like, just so that Bran could become the Night King? I don't know. It just seems a little bit contrived. Yeah, so I agree with both of you. And I don't think there's proof of the green sight and then warging. I don't think there's proof right. of getting stuck because even if he did warg into Hodor in that scene, he didn't get stuck inside of Hodor. I mean, right. it's, it's a long stretch to say now he gets stuck inside of the Night King. So right. what we think is a lot more likely is what we've already been shown. He does go back to that moment. He does try to do something or say something to change it in that moment where the Night King is being created for the first time. But more than likely, he winds up messing something up, right? Every of time course. he's done this, we see him kind of mess something up. It's a closed loop, and he's kind of destined to go back and do that and have it ripple out. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like if we watch Doctor Who, and Doctor Who dies when the companion is only two episodes in and doesn't know what to do and is making all these mistakes... It's the same concept. It's already happened. Yeah. All right. Well, according according to Jean-Claude Goddamn on Reddit, uh, <laughs> he wrote, it's stupid and you're stupid if you fall for it. It's right up there with Clara being a TARDIS. So like, <laughs> oh, I don't understand go. what that meant, but it sounds like you understand Doctor Who. Yes. Like, so, all right. So does that make sense to you? So, <laughs> 
the actress. Well, Clara, is, have there been theories that Clara, I assume, is a is a companion of Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah. Is a TARDIS? Are, are are there people who make that that theory? They were trying to figure out because there's been some episodes where the TARDIS has more personality than okay. others, and it's a woman. So that's where they're bringing that in. And we know there's an essence to the TARDIS somehow powering it of its own. Then there's the fact that Macy Williams was in Doctor Who last season or two seasons Uh, ago. As me. Just totally, as me. (laughs) Her name was me. Totally wraps the whole Doctor Who into this whole theory. Okay. All right. Well, I I think a better question might be, is Bran being controlled by the Night King since the Night King touched Bran when he was in the cave? And could it be that's why he told Mira that he's not Bran anymore, and she told him he died there. So the Night King knows that the wall was broken down by the dragon, and knowing that Jon Snow will help him bring it there. Could Bran be the ultimate spy for the Night King? Well, you're, you're touching on another wow. topic that we've talked about, which is this season seems to be showing us that the Night King's powers are stronger than Bran's, at least at this given moment. I mean, maybe Bran just hasn't learned how to adapt his powers, but Bran has told us multiple times this season, I can see the past, I can see the present. He does not say, I can see the future. We have never definitively seen him see the future, and I know everyone's going to bring up the time that he heard the Mad King and then he saw explosions of wildfire and a dragon over King's Landing, We'll come back to that. That could have been past visions, not future yeah, it visions. it could have been. But That's Danny right. saw the future. Sorry, I just, sorry. <laughs> oh, you just threw a wrench at it. That's true. I, I realized as soon as I said it, I just fucking Okay, but it wasn't, it wasn't her power. Okay. Why she saw the future, right? It was the, the, witches, the witches, the warlocks, That's all right. of those people that gave her yeah. those prophecies. So as far as we know, Bran has never seen the future. Now, The original Three-Eyed Raven, did we ever see him see the future? Or have we just been assuming every vision he showed Bran was Was the the past, past. correct? Or present? And he didn't know that Bran was going to, while he was sleeping, go into the past, get touched by the Night King, and then all hell breaks loose. So, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but he he warned, didn't the Three-Eyed Raven warn Bran about staying too long? And by being a, an observer versus, you know, I, th- I thought the Three-Eyed Raven warned him not to go too close to the Night King. I think he did warn him not to stay too long within those visions and not to interact. I can't remember if he ever No, didn't he said, warn him not to stay too long in the animals? Don't stay too... In the books, he said, don't stay books. too long. In, that's oh, the books. Don't I, stay I, too this long. This is where we always get... Yeah, <laughs> they told him no, not to yeah. warg too long into a wolf because you'll start to forget Bran and become a wolf. That's right. Um, But yes, on the TV show, he warned him against staying too long in the vision. So there is kind of a theme here. But I I don't think definitively we were just assuming green sight comes with visions of the future. But now I think that basic tenant is being challenged. And so the reason I bring this up is because it does seem like the Night King is able to see the future. At least if we deduce that it looked like he had a plan to draw the men north of the wall to bait a dragon so he could get an ice dragon. So that leads you to either the Night King is more powerful than Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven, or there is some kind of weird time crossing. Bran goes into him, and that's how he knows about it, because it's already happened. It's not the future. It's already happened. It's, it's just one big linear circle. What was right. the... It's, it's just what the astrolabe. It's just that. That's just what it is. Yeah. It's just telling the same story over and over and over again. Which we have believed that history well, is repeating itself. Did you see 
the actor who plays Brand Isaac Hempstead Wright. Uh, you you mentioned his um, interview. Um, this was pulled, uh, posted on Vulture, uh, where I got this from. But th- did you read what he said in response to the whole Brand as the Night King? I don't think so. Uh, this is what he uh, says, and this is quote verbatim from Isaac Wright. He says, "Maybe I think it's just less that they're the same person, meaning Brand and the Night King, and more that they're two of the ancient beings of Westeros." The Three-Eyed Raven has been around for God knows how long, and White Walkers have been reported since the beginning of time. As we've seen, they were created by the Children of the Forest, so we can't get much more ancient than that. Perhaps we can think of these as two creatures with a huge amount of power, but one is a Frankenstein's monster who is driven by nothing but hatred and violence, meaning the Night King. Then there's Bran, who uses his powers for good. I want to find out why the Night King is so obsessed with destroying mankind, We'll see whether or not they have any of these kind of explanations in the next season. Hopefully we'll find out cool stuff about both those characters. So that's what Isaac says. Now the double D's are notorious for not telling the actors the whole story because they don't want them to get ahead of themselves. But I find some truth into this. I don't believe Bran is the night King. I don't believe in the circular story. I think it's too easy. I just believe that they're both, they both have the powers like we talked about of just two ancient, you know, crazy creatures yin and yang yeah that would bring you back right. to relore and the great other and right. if they have servants on earth now that brings you to the three-eyed raven and the white walkers and kind of there is a little mirroring of catholicism if those that dualistic religion is supposed to tie into that which i could see george r, r. martin doing he's playing with different religions as well as everything else he's doing here <laughs> um and so what you said about the circular loop with history would also make sense that things have been repeating themselves. We have seen other long nights. We have seen things go round and round like that astrolabe, but this is the story of how that changes, right? Danny and all of her, let's break the wheel talk. Let's do things differently. Let's actually defeat the night King. So is that what we're going to see in this story? The first time that we break it and we rewrite history. Hmm. I like it. Hmm. <laughs> I just don't want to believe it, but but do you think Bran... So you don't believe that Bran can see the future? Not yet. But I think the Night Definitely King Definitely not yet. I don't know if that is something he may be able to do eventually. Again, companion without the Doctor. I think the Night King can, because, and I've said it, and I'll say it one more time, the Night King, we kept saying, what's taking the Whites so long to get to the Wall? It's right. because they were waiting for a dragon to come over. Yeah. And I think the Night King knew what was going to happen and was just waiting for his time, was chilling in the back with his homies while all his little dudes went over and fought John and his, his crew. And then, you know, I always said he has the cheat code. He stole. That's right. He's got the contra cheat code. The yeah, up, down, down, left, exactly. Right, left, right. And he, the ABA select start. And he stole the vehicle. Yeah, you and your Grand right. Theft Dragon. Exactly, Grand, Grand Theft, Theft Dragon. Dragon. That's so good. That's so good. Also, um, the Night King could be, listen, if he can see the future, maybe he's the bastard uh, behind all these leaked plots that were, uh, and uh, that, oh. that were sent to the internet, and also all the episodes that were leaked. <laughs> it took me a second because I was thinking in the lore. I was like, wait, leaked what? Oh, yeah. yes, in real life. Yeah, he leaked all the, the He story. gave him the horn. Oh. Listen, there's got to be a reason why the children of the forest chose this man. And we just don't know why yet. Okay, yeah. To really getting to the heart of it, and we asked this question today, 
We went back to watch that scene where the children of the forest created the first White Walker and really listened to what they said to see if we could find any clues for how this all started and what the Walker motivations could be. There's not a lot, I'll tell you that much. She's telling Bran, we did this because we were at war. We had no choice. We needed to protect ourselves from you, dot, 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 from men. And so that, again, led to some rampant speculation. We always assumed she meant from you as in you humans, but did she actually mean you You. as in you, Bran? Okay, so the children of the forest created this White Walker because first men were fighting them. There was a lot of bloodshed. They were cutting down their heart trees was really the big thing. But the, the fighting was kind of getting less and less, and then eventually they came to a pact. So it, it, it is kind of weird that they took these drastic measures, and how did they know how to do this and create one? Did they even know what was going to happen? It leaves a lot of questions still on the table, and there's no more children left to answer those. Nope. There was also the whole thing that they tied into. I love when people theorize, and then they tie into things that make sense into their theory that makes it sound well, it's a straw man, right? You tie in more things that actually are true or could be true into your theory to make it sound better. As I say that, I don't know if this is even true, but they were saying that Bran may have went back in time to the Mad King and was trying to tell him to burn them all, yeah. meaning burn all the White yeah, Walkers. That's a, that's a popular theory as well. Yeah, exactly. And but you know, like that's that's a little too on the nose. On the nose, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like just Hodor 2.0. No one wants to see that. Right. We want to see something new. We want to see something crazy. Exactly. And Hodor threw us so... The reason why this year everyone has all these theories is, one, because we no longer have George R.R. Martin's novel, we're trying desperately to find that again. Pull threads together. Weave it into something that looks like something. That isn't even there. And two, now we're expecting like... Raj, you're going you're gonna to see this with Mr. Robot. So many things punch you in the face where you didn't see it coming mm-hmm. that everything mm-hmm. means something. You're going to be like, well, this means there, there was a dust on the table, which means that this and this and this. Well, it does in Mr. Robot, though. <laughs> right. It does all yeah. mean something. So I think what we're seeing here is just the population theorizing their own snowballs to make it all make sense and say, no, there's deeper meaning in all of this, even if there isn't. I agree with you, but I also have to say, we don't know. So you and I say this a lot. We get on theories that we like, and we like to talk about it and speculate. We like to pull from different things. But we also usually offer alternative theories. Mm -hmm. Some of these ones we're talking about today, we don't believe them at all. We really don't like Bran as the Night King thing. But we have to (laughs) talk about it because we're not George R.R. Martin. We're not the Double Ds. At the end of the day, Bran could be the Night King. I have right. no idea. And if he is, I'm going to feel like an idiot. <laughs> <So> <laughs> right. That's right. It's, oh my God. Uh, could you imagine if all this comes true? Could you, you imagine? It, it would be like Westworld where you were like, all right, fine. I get that Jimmy Simpson is the man in black. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> kind of ruined the last couple episodes of Westworld for me, but okay. It was still satisfying. Of course, yeah. But, well, but now, if, if we've solved the puzzle... Before season eight, like it's going to be like we people are going to hate season eight. (laughs) They are going to hate it because they've already solved it. Like that's it's got to be so at least the double D's could lean on George R.R. Martin and say, well, listen, this is his story. 
This is his, this is, we're just bringing it to life. Now they're kind of in control of where the story is going. If they don't stick the landing, people are going to be pissed. Well, we've heard that George R. R. Martin gave him the bullet points and it was up to them to find how they get path. to the bullet points. So this Listen, whole George R. R. Martin is taking time on Twitter to tweet pit pictures of like, which hat should he wear? <laughs> Do you think George R. R. Martin is really that dedicated to giving them bullet points? He's like, look, look at my new hat. Look at my new hat. Look at my new hat. I well, think he'd give them the main ones, but there's a okay. lot in between A and B that That's right. Benioff and Weiss had to figure out. I don't think they gave him enough money, honestly, to be to be completely honest. They didn't give him enough money. George? Yeah. Okay. And he said, you know what? I'm not releasing this book. I think he had it done last year. I'm not releasing it. You guys are on your own. You haven't given me enough money. Here's some bullet points. You fill in the points. And then when you fuck it up, this is him, not me saying it. When you fuck it up, I'm going to release my books and it's going to blow everyone away. And HBO is going to hire me to do a new series and now I'll make the money. I don't know if it's about money. It could be. I really think it's about their creative vision and having the last say. And I think he wants to get there in a different way because this is his story. No, listen. He gave the bullet point that the Night King is going to have... A dragon, one right. of Danny's dragons. And the double D's had to figure out how do you get from this to that bullet point? And that's what they came up with, right. which is we need to prove to Cersei. Because the that double D's a don't have a horn to bring down the wall. They don't have an ice dragon that's, that's already buried in the wall. They have to figure out an alternative that fits in with what they've been doing so far. And so how else do you get a dragon there? So in some ways, the story itself has kind of boxed itself off because they haven't had those, those other extra. things, okay. they just can't in TV universe. And kind of going back to the theorizing thing, this has been 20 years for book readers that Game of Thrones has been around. So George has said this before. Somebody out there has figured out this ending. It's inevitable. With this much talk and this much theorizing, mm. one of these things is right. <laughs> so Right. Yeah. It's just like, which one? It's like Mel Gibson in that one uh, movie um, where he... Uh, Oh, God, this is a deep cut. Mm. <laughs> 1990? What was it? Conspiracy. Theory. With, conspiracy with theory. Mel Gibson. Yeah. Conspiracy theory, right? Yeah. Where one of his crazy things ends up right, and then yeah. the government hunts him down. Could you imagine if that happens to us? Like, they break down your door as we're recording. You know, <laughs> oh, my God. Stop podcasting. And they're like, what are you doing? The double Ds, you know, George R. R. Martin's out there. He throws one of his new hats at us. <laughs> <laughs> Quit talking. You're going to ruin it all. Stop telling them the White Walkers are good guys. <laughs> Bran is not the fucking Night King, but he can't be controlled by him. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway. So I have two other, hopefully shorter bullet points for you guys. I'm having fun. Let's just keep going. For questions we still have. So <laughs> we briefly touched upon what happened with Cersei and Jamie. I really want to come back to this because I'm confused myself. Okay. Now... Cersei either intentionally pushed Jamie away in that scene or at the very least allowed him to go. When she started pushing his buttons and told him, how could you not realize I was planning this with Euron all along? I always knew you were the dumbest Lannister. She allows him to leave. She doesn't tell the mountain to kill him. She has just finished telling Jamie, supposedly, all of her battle strategies, how she's going to backstab John and Danny. Exactly what she's going to do with Euron going to get the Golden Company. In reality, would she ever let Jamie leave with that information, knowing he's going to the north to the enemy now and could tell them all of that? No. 
Why would she release him like that? I don't think it's that cut and dry. Raj? So my question along with this is, does Jamie turn around and go back to Cersei? Oh, God, I hope not. No. Because when, when he sees the snow, it pauses, he looks at it, he takes the glove off or puts the glove on. I can't remember what he does. But then it, it, it's weird because from a, direct te- from a directorial perspective, he was riding his horse from left to right. Then he stops. If he's going to continue on going, wouldn't they have also like shot the scene to where he continues going left to right versus what they do in this episode where he goes from right to left? We had one of our clatchers ask that too, Raj. And okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Here's the thing. I think the snow only reinforced what he was thinking. Winter okay. is coming. He just saw a white in his own eyes, right? And now... It starts snowing in King's Landing? Right. Yeah, but he's right in the sense that this can only go one of two ways because of everything she's just told him. Either he has to come back so that that information can't get out, or he leaves and she's given him the wrong information because she knew this was going to happen. Right, yeah. Yeah, For sure she's not going to let him go to Jon Snow and and say... Cersei's lying and this is happening. No, there's no way. And it did feel a little like she was pushing him away, that it was planned in the same way that the Tyrion scene was planned. She fakes like she's going to kill them but can't go through with it with either one of them. All of this is still part of Cersei's plot. But where that trips me up is everything she just told him about what she's going to do is the only thing that makes sense for her battle strategy. What, right. If she gave him wrong information, what the hell is she actually planning to do? Man, I wish I had the answers. <laughs> I don't know that. I mean, oh, geez, that's a great question. I'll I tell don't you, know. I'll tell you what the answer is, not for that question, but okay. for our side, being Danny and John fans, right? Yeah. Is that who is still over there? Braun. Oh, yeah, but I... You think he's staying? I think she's going to try to talk to him. And he's all about, he's a Tyrion loyalist. He's a Jamie friend. Mm-hmm. And we still have a sand in the dungeons. Oh, yeah. Here's Jason's big theory. He thinks Alaria is still alive and Bronn is going to let her out of the dungeons. And uh, the reason I could agree is because Dorn has an awfully big army the only one of the Seven Kingdoms that is untested from the recent couple of wars. There's no way we go into the Great War and the Dorn army just sits there in the South and doesn't play a part in this. So, I, I mean, I hope to God, I don't see any way that Cersei gets the Dornish army after everything the Lannisters have been through, so that would mean they wind up back on the side of the North, but how do you get from point A to point B? So that's why I like your theory. But my theory did not answer your question. What, <laughs> what does? No, it did not. What happens to Jamie from this point on? Does she let him go? Does he have the wrong answers? Mm-hmm. We don't know. And that's what's fun about it. I agree. Well, that's what keep me watching. I mean, I what, just wish it wasn't until March 28th. Was it not uh, March 28th? Possibly March, two ni- 2019. 2019, right. <laughs> well, it's the whole uh, Westworld yeah, exactly. They're going to they're gonna say it's going to come back in 2019, and then it's going to be back. In- <laughs> Raj, our biggest fear is that we're going to have two shows that are popular running yeah. at the same time. Oh, geez. Could you imagine? Oh. One of these days, the change in schedule. To, I'll have to quit my job. I'll have to quit because i got to make that sweet, sweet podcast money. <laughs> oh, wait. Wait till you get into Mr. Robot. Yeah. Oh, geez. Gonna be what like, am I getting myself? Guys. Oh, is it too late? i got to pull the plug up. Where's Kevin? <laughs> get Kevin on the phone. 
So, I mean, those were all the really big topics I had to cover. Are there any unanswered questions for you guys that we didn't talk about? No, I think that's, that covers it. I, I think these are really good topics. These were, these are the ones that are on the top of everyone's mind, right? I mean, these were the big yeah. things that um, the season ended on, and you know, they're going to have to answer, and I just don't want them. My fear, my biggest fear, is that we're going to open up on season eight, and they're, they're going to do what they did this season, which is not even explore what happened. Just show some easy way out of a situation without explaining it. Just fucking answer everything real quick. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, obviously they, you know, Braun just pulled Jamie from the water. Obviously, you know, Uncle Benjamin will show up at this given time to save Jon Snow's life. Give us some more complex answers. Give us some. We don't need the death fake outs. Death fake outs are so 2014. Like we want. We want some different stuff like Hodor. You nailed it. Fantastic. We want more Hodor. Raj, I, I completely agree with you, but we have to remember what the Double Ds were dealing with. They had seven episodes to do 10 episodes of work, 10 hours of work, more than 10, maybe 11, 12 that. hours of work that they could have really mixed in. But the Double Ds were given seven episodes. Right, I, And I think the bigger issue is maybe it was always supposed to be more seasons than this, more episodes than this. But once they lost their roadmap, they had to start condensing, get to the TV ending instead of the book ending. And so as a lot of people have been speculating, I think season seven was a lot of setup. And so we had to take shortcuts in order right. to get there. I'm hoping that means we're done with that. Season eight opens up back to where they want to be. All the chess pieces are on the board and we can do it justice now. You might have the episode one opener having skipped some stuff. Okay. So maybe they are attacking Winterfell and our characters are not there anymore. And the battle begins in that kind of way. But I think from that point out, it's going to be not taking as many shortcuts as season seven. I'll tell you one thing. Arya is someone that we have to pay attention to because they spent so much time cultivating that character. And we're going to see more from her or not. (laughs) <laughs> I, I really hope so. And if you go back to original writing, and I don't know how much you can rely on information George gave us way back when, because things have changed, but Arya was kind of by proxy his favorite character, right? He wasn't allowed to kill Arya off because his wife loved Arya. But I can't help but thinking uh, season eight is going to resolve for us. Is it really about the war for the crown or is it about the war for life? Okay, so if it's about the war for life against the White Walkers and all this religious stuff we've been talking about, people who are still playing the Game of Thrones are going to be taken out relatively quickly because they have no place in the larger narrative. What if they're down south? Right? People like Cersei or people like Arya that's still going through a kill list. Those characters will have to get taken out if they're not part of the bigger story. I'm looking for more from Bran. I think we're going to need Bran more and more as the episodes go on. But is that too cutesy to only like use Bran when you need him? Like, oh, we need Bran to tell us what's going to happen or what happened in the past. And you know what I mean? Like, is that is that an effective use of Bran? No, I, I'm hoping that Bran is no longer just the Google. Yeah. Right. I'm hoping right. that yeah. now he actually does something about it. He's gotten stronger with his powers. I think he must... Get stronger with his powers. We talked a lot about how the books opened up with a lot of brand time and learning about his incredible Worgen capabilities and the beginnings of Greensight. 
and we haven't seen as much of him on the TV show, but now that he's coming back into play, he has to be part of this bigger purpose. So if, if he's not the Night King, and hopefully he's not, then I think you have to see his powers grow and have him impact this in a bigger way. Correct. Let me ask you guys a really fun and probably over-the-top question. <laughs> I want to take you guys on a journey, okay? All right, let's do it. Jon Snow and Danny and everybody and the Whites are coming, okay? And there's 100,000 of them, and they're walking, and they're flying in a stolen vehicle, and winter is here. It's freezing. What do we do? Okay, let's break it down. We're in a council right now. What are, they, what are their weaknesses? Okay, water. They can't go into water. Okay. I'm Jon Snow. Fire, right? So I'm Jon Snow. When, when we were surrounded, they couldn't even touch us because the water was breaking and they were falling in. Can we dig a huge moat? And they pointed out that they can't swim. Right. On, and they can't universe. swim. They have How pointed they that out. they get the dragon? Okay. So you, you dig out the moat so you don't have to worry about the 100,000. Now you have to worry about one. You have the dragon that was so heartbreaking. Raj, I don't know if you listened to our instant coffee episode after uh, uh, the penultimate episode. I was right. going nuts. She if you haven't listened to it, emotional. please listen to it because I think you'll <laughs> laugh because I was going, I just freaked oh, out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the dragon, uh, I'm, I'm no stranger to the effects of what happens when on-screen pets die. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't make it through an entire trailer of a dog's life without sobbing. <laughs> exactly. Uncontrollably. So that's what I was going through, and <laughs> I went off on that. Okay, so we have one ice dragon, one Night King douche, and we have Danny and we have John, both riding dragons, Okay. And hopefully we can get some scorpions there. Okay. And we can get... Oh, yeah, this is your other theory. And we can get Gendry to make some huge arrows. Made out of dragonglass? Yes. Yes, That's what exactly. Jason said. Yeah, all right, like it. So we got those on the other side of the water of this moat that we made, right? Yeah. Could this work? Oh, and the, I mean, mo- the moat's made using... Man-made... You just... Well, no, no, no. You don't even have to do that because according to books, the children broke the land bridge that used to connect Dorne to Essos using their magic or possibly a horn that sunk the whole landmass into the sea. Ah, the horn. So that the first men could not keep coming over. So that exists in book universe. There you go. Yeah, we're going to see the magic horn. (laughs) If if I don't... If I have to sit through eight seasons of Game of Thrones and I don't see that fucking horn, (laughs) we riot. Yes, that's right. So that's right. I don't think this will happen because it's too easy, but that would be a good scenario, right? Yeah. yeah. So you're planning the battle tactics. You right. want to be on Danny's small council. I'm Jamie right now because Jamie is the one that is the militarily <laughs> the, the tactician. Yes. Can this happen? Or do you have, what's another, what's another way? I'm putting you on the spot both of you, but what's another way? Well, the other way is to not focus on the white army, do exactly what Beric said to go after the white walkers and for John to go after the night King, because if you take them down, the whole rest of the army falls. But if you start to have all your heroes in one place with Valyrian steel, possibly with Lightbringer, I mean, I I do think that is the ultimate showdown. It's not going to happen right away. I think the Night King, though, we've always speculated is going to be different and what kills other White Walkers won't necessarily kill him. And it, it, it is going to be something more difficult. Now, if you put 
my theory into play. Let's say they did that. They built the moat. They have all that going. And you're like, all right, next episode, they got it. And then from behind is Cersei's troops. And that could be what just messes it all up because now Cersei's guys are coming from behind and attacking the living. And then the living are dying. And then the dying are being resurrected on the other side. This makes great sense, except why would Cersei do that when she needs them to take out the undead army? Otherwise, she's going to have to deal with it. Because she's too hot-headed. Maybe she just just, uh, hired the Golden Company to come and just move all of her stuff out of King's Landing and just across the (laughs) the ocean. Maybe the Golden Company is just some moving company that's going to get all the furniture, all the, the sigils, and just take that over. Because she's like, fuck it. I just want... I'll build another thing across the water. <laughs> well, listen, she heard Danny left Dario in charge of Marine, and she's like, oh, right. that's an easy target. I'll yeah, just go take over, over Marine. They got, yeah, they got <laughs> a fat and happy. Exactly. All right. I knew I'd throw you guys <laughs> for some weird loop, so I'm sorry <laughs> no, about that. No, that was that. fun. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Should we ask Raj the last um, question? We talked at the very top of the episode about our MVB for the season. Yes, Raj, who's your most valuable bannerman? Most valuable bannerman. Character for all of season seven. All of season seven? Can I pick animals? Of course. Sure. I'm going to go with Drogon. We Drogon, a- badass. Uh, he can be used as a bus, as a transportation. <laughs> um, Magic he, school bus. He can take a couple arrows to the chest and, and keep going. Um, he doesn't, uh, he, d- he didn't die. Uh, and he continues to do what Danny asks of him without any kind of question. I mean, he he killed uh, Dickon and Randall. He's killed quite a few uh, people. And without Drogon, there would have been no battle of uh, Deep Purple Rush. So I'm going to have to go with uh, Drogon this season. MVB. We had a lot of clatchers that gave us Drogon as well. Christina and myself went with John. the obvious John. We had to. But I think that is right there as well. Yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty evenly uh, kind of split between John, Danny, and Drogon. Also, maybe Braun, Drogon, and Braun. Braun had a, a pretty kick-ass season. I, it's funny when we looked back over because we did MVB for each episode. I gave it to right. a lot of the little guys. Um, so Davos got it quite a few times. Braun yeah. got the vote. Sam got it a couple times. Not that he's such a little guy anymore. But they, they are starting to have these shining moments, with, which I really appreciate. So, Rod, you've watched every season. What's your favorite season? Oh, geez. Um, well, that's a question that I will be unable to answer. And here's why. And this is not a political answer. It's just that I have not gone back and watched all the seasons recently. I have gotten through the first two and I will say the first two episodes of this series are pretty kick-ass um <laughs> the problem with the first couple seasons is you have to endure Joffrey it's so infuriating but that's how great of a job the actor who played Joffrey did and the writing was just it was tight um it does feel like a different show whilst season seven you know broke ratings records and everyone talked about it, and there were like 75 podcasts covering Game of Thrones, it felt like a different season. And for fans of other series that have taken that kind of turn, they know what I'm talking about. Like, it's it's not the same show. Like, Walking Dead is, I 
I can barely even watch that anymore. It's not the same show as what it was, but you go back and you watch the first couple seasons. You're like, Oh my God, the show was brilliant. Um, I, j- I don't think game of Thrones is there, but I'm glad that they're ending it next season. I'll just say that. Will you be watching the spinoffs? Yeah, of course. Come on. I'm probably will, doing a podcast on them. Will you be on the CKC podcast for the spinoffs? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Done. Sign me up. What is that? I'll be like 50 by the time the next yeah, one's coming. Of no, course. Um, with the right story, I think it can be done effectively. Are they going to tell about the Blackfire Rebellion? Are they going to go way back? I don't know. But this, you know, it's more and more looking like Star Wars. I always make the comparison of Star Wars in every podcast. But it's like they're going to go back and they're going to do the prequels, you know, and then people aren't going to like those. They're going to think it's different. Then they're going to do a story that's like close to they're going to do a Rogue One. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And and then they're going to go in the future and tell the future story. I don't know. What do you got? Green sight? The fuck? Do I get? (laughs) Sorry. Did I just warg? (laughs) Do I get those same questions? Yes. Because I would love to answer that. Please. Okay, hands down, my favorite season was season one. I always love, especially with a fantasy show, when we do world building, ground laying, very, very closely adapted to the book. I remember thinking I've never seen a book adapted like this to TV, and people told George it couldn't be done. They turned down this stuff for the movies, or they wanted to hack it up because they said your world is just too big to translate to screen. Yeah, we went deep into that. And the Double Ds took that challenge and did an amazing job of turning that into season one on much less money with much less to work with. Characters, a lot of actors that were very young, they didn't know where that was going. I think I will look back later on season seven and love it because it was a season for the good guys. And you don't get that a lot on Game of Thrones and season eight sure is not going to end that way. It's all of the buildup you never thought you would get to see when you were reading the books, victories you never imagined. It is very different from season one, and I think season one still holds the record for that. But I think later on, on a binge, it will be more enjoyable than it was now, analyzing every episode right after it airs so with so much scrutiny, uh, especially as a book reader. And podcaster. And podcaster, <laughs> yes. So we had somebody talk about the bingeability of the show, and I agree with that. I think down the road, that's that's going to look a lot different. Yeah, that clatcher was dead on. And for the spinoffs, knowing we're not getting Robert's Rebellion, which would be fantastic, I want to see a shy. Mm. I want to see where all this Ooh. craziness comes from. You don't have to do it similar. It's a totally different place. Yeah, that would be good. It's like You Better Call Saul. Even though it exists in the same universe, it's a completely different show. Yeah. And I like Better Call Saul. Absolutely. And we have to remember George R. R. Martin is part of that spinoff. Now they're starting to say, okay, so in the beginning they were saying there was five spinoffs. Then they said, nope, there's only one and George R. R. Martin is a part of it. Now we're starting to hear again, there's many spinoffs. I still believe HBO because they're very meticulous with what they spend money on and they have set shows that they release per season, meaning fall, winter, summer, all that I don't think they're going to do five spinoffs and just throw the money out there. I think they got one that they want to concentrate on, and they're going to release that in three, four years from now. Yeah, it's five options, and they'll have to pick one. And a lot of that probably depends how much is George involved. And we know that HBO's next crown jewel is Westworld. That's right. And that's going to fill the gap. I'm excited. We're approaching the end of the podcast Yep. Give us your plugs. Let the Clatchers know what you're doing. I feel like I'm at the uh, the end of Hot Ones. 
my favorite YouTube uh, channel interview show where like y- you make it through all the tin hot wings, like with the hottest sauce in the world and you finally get to plug away. And now I don't know what to plug. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, my buddy, Kevin Brackett and I, uh, Kevin of real spoilers, which is a fantastic podcast that covers first run movies. Uh, we just started up show spoilers. We spun that off. Uh, where we will be reco- uh, doing recap shows of, of TV uh, series such as uh, Mr. Robot and Game of Thrones. We opened up, we launched the show with three episodes covering Game of Thrones, and now we're going to do uh, Mr. Robot, which you guys do over here. So if you're looking for another Mr. Robot podcast, one that you can write into and, and tear apart, do it to the rookies, Kevin and Ryan <laughs> over there. Uh, you can also check out uh, me on Shad on TV, where we cover TV series also such as uh, West world game of thrones uh t- american gods and taboo and then chat the movies where we look back and movies from our childhood that the audience votes on and review them uh, we just dropped top gun that 1986 masterpiece nice. so yeah chat the movies chat on tv and show spoilers uh that's where you can catch me hopefully and, oh, oh and also follow me on twitter at roger underscore roper there nice all right now i'm done well, Rise, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Please, anytime you guys want to be on and anytime you want my idiot voice uh, on as well, I'd, I'm happy to join. Happy to join. Well, Rise, it's been great talking to you, and we'll see you on Mr. Robot. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. This round is on me. Try again.